I pledge allegiance to Marvel and the entire cinematic universe. Warner Bros. DC. One church. Under God. Indivisible. With all praise to the most high. Church of Marvel say amen. Amen. Before we get started, I just want to say this. Can't no industry top Marvel Studios. We tired of being humble. We tired of letting people think that DC got a chance. The Church of Marvel is head and shoulders above everyone. We run it all. Currently, at the time of this recording, it was just announced that Hugh Jackman is back as Wolverine alongside Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool 3. Now, you know we hype. You know what I'm saying? The Church of Marvel is hype. We always stay hype. We have no reason not to be hype. But what I can't seem to grasp is why the fuck? Why the fuck are people still coming from Marvel? And you know who the main culprits are? The Zack Snyder fan base, that notoriously toxic pocket of DC fans. You have the audacity to come and try to criticize anything that, that Pastor Feige is doing when y'all don't even know who the f y'all Superman, Batman gonna be. The fucking Flash getting ready to get recasting and shit. Filming fucking movies and then not releasing them and shit. Wasting fucking money. The fuck out of here. Moving on. Now, not only did Marvel have banger films, as usual, but for the second straight year, they've had banger TV shows as well. Which is like a self-insult on Marvel's behalf, because with these shows from Kevin Feige, they don't just be average Joe TV show, nah, 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 nah. These be f***ing movies. And that's why I love the concept of Disney+. Plus, Because now that the Infinity Saga is over, and majority of the main heroes are either retired or dead, these Disney Plus series have the opportunity to introduce new characters not in the span of a two-hour movie, but in the span of a six- to seven-hour binge. And with that much longer of a runtime, they have the ability to not only introduce a new character, but dig into their background, witness their everyday life, flesh out their character. And that's why I love Marvel. That's why Brandon loves Marvel. Because they make these heroes so damn relatable to us, and we get attached to them. First up for the movies is hands down the best Spider-Man movie of all time, AKA the 10 out of five matters receiver, Spider-Man No Way Home. When this came out in December of last year, man, we were feasting, dog. I mean, we still are, but when that came out, it's like, yo. It's like we were with Pastor Fighting and the whole crew sitting down in Marvel HQ in New York, eating a gourmet meal off a vibranium plate with the OG Spider-Man thing from, from the animated series from back in the day. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one right there, yeah. With that playing in the background. That is how great this movie was. The overall story to the return of the Sinister Five to the return of Toby and Andrew, man. 
this movie had literally everything a Spider-Man fan could ask for. It had action. It had the emotional moments where we, the audience, legit shed tears. And I don't know what else to call this other than a masterpiece. Enough said. Next up, we got Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. This gets a perfect 5 out of 5 matters because this movie was absolutely insane. It was crazy. Now, of course, the butt cracks of the universe want to go and leak the whole movie online. So it doesn't matter where you go. You're going to still see something, you know, spoilery from the movie. And I wasn't having it. So I deleted all my social media apps until like May 6th. Then I re-downloaded them and saw a flood of messages from different folks that I'd only talked to on social media. Talking about, man, where you been at? Simple. I went dark. Because if someone would have spoiled this movie for me, in any capacity, and I can speak for Brandon as well, we was going to become vengeance. Straight vengeance. But anyway, this movie was flames. The visuals were crazy as hell, man. Like, Doctor Strange 1 was wild. But this one was like, holy freaking crap. And I freaking love Marvel, man. Because you can just see the progression in the characters. When we see Strange in, in this one, he's on some veteran type stuff. Like, like, he's been doing this mystic art stuff like forever. But moving on, they legit pushed the boundaries on this being a PG-13 movie because the way certain characters checked out had me like, wait a minute, are y'all sure y'all didn't mislabel this as PG-13 because, like, this seems a little rated R. And every time I felt like that, you know who was on screen? Wanda Maximoff. That's who was on screen every single time I felt that way while watching this movie. I mean, Wanda, she went full-on gangster in this movie, man. Like, from from her actions to her spine-tingling monologues, like, straight up, Lizzie Olsen, she killed this shit. <laughs> Wanda was incinerating folks. Then they showing us the charred remains. She was popping out of objects all twisted up on some Blair Witch, chick from the ring type shit. Like, man... Basically, in my opinion, this was not a Doctor Strange movie. This was the Scarlet Witch in the Multiverse of Madness, straight up. Wanda slipped up in front of Strange when he went to go visit her about the monsters that were terrorizing America. And if you haven't seen the movie, obviously I'm not talking about the United States of America. I'm talking about the character America Chavez. But turns out, she was the one sending the goddamn monsters. Wanda was OG in this movie. Man, she up there, she walked up to Strange and told him, Sending those creatures after her instead of myself was mercy. And when she said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> She really walked up to Strange, or flew up to Strange, and told him, look, if I show up, it's gonna be a fucking problem. Then Strange, he went back to Comitage to warn everybody, you know what I'm saying, hey, <laughs> the Scarlet Witch, she's on her way. And Wong, you know, he the new Sorcerer Supreme. 
He up there don't call the London Sanctum, the Chinese Sanctum. So then, you know, Wanda, she finally pulls up. And uh, Strange, he sees her. Wong like, hey, man, choose your words wisely because with a snap of her finger, just like that, she can wipe all of us out. So, you know what I'm saying? No pressure. Strange like, all right. And Strange, he flies up to talk to her, you know what I'm saying, to calm her down. And she don't want to hear none of that, dog. Like, none of it. Because like I said, she's in full gangster mode. She was like, listen, give me my... <laughs> hey, y'all know how uh, ratchet females be when they get upset and they start clapping after everything they say? <laughs> well, Wanda, she was like, give me my shit or else it's going to be a fucking problem. Eyes turning red. And then she said this. You have exhausted my patience. But I do hope you understand. But even now, what's about to happen? This is me being reasonable. And then you hear why Wanda is doing all this, and it's because she wants to be with her kids. And if y'all haven't seen WandaVision uh, in that show, she gave birth, well, quote-unquote birth, to um, Billy and Tommy Maximoff, a.k.a. Speed and Wiccan. And Strange tells her, Wanda, they're not real. Which in the comics, preferably the House of M comic, or comics, plural, I don't know if it's, you know, multiple or not, but in that particular series, those kids are not real. And when she found out that they weren't real, basically she just snapped and said, No more mutants. And when she said that, literally, Every single mutant got wiped from the existence. But, you know what I'm saying? He tells her that, and she's like, but they are. Because she's dreaming about them every single night. And the way that um, the MCU is handling dreams is that whatever you dream about, that's your alternate self from another universe. So it's like, you know, I understand why she's doing it, but her methods, they were a little extreme. And that shows you what grief does to some people. Like, can you imagine if someone had that amount of grief and, and the same powers as she does? <laughs> like, if you up against the Scarlet Witch, man, get f***ed straight up. And Strange, he trying to tell her, like, okay, let's say you do go to, you know what I'm saying, another universe with your kids. What happens to that universe's Wanda? She looking like, I don't, I don't care. I don't, who cares? I don't, I don't care. So, you know what I'm saying? He goes back down, tell everybody, well, Wanda's gone. We got to deal with the Scarlet Witch now. Battle ensues. And she straight obliterates everyone. And in one part of the that scene, the sound in the theater, like, it just drowned out. Like you had just gone deaf. And she gets inside this one sorcerer's mind and, like, appears behind him on some horror movie type stuff. While she's still flying in the air and whispers in his ear, Run. And, man, when she said that, I got chills, man. 
he immediately just bucks. He's like, nah, I ain't dealing with this. Then, you know what I'm saying? Once he start running, he bumping into everybody. Everybody's shield messing up. So she just swoops on in, wrecks everybody. Then she started grabbing motherfuckers through puddles of water on the floor. Then American Strange get away from Wanda, you know what I'm saying? They don't jump to another universe. And they end up in, I think it was 838, home of the Illuminati. And this Illuminati's team lineup consisted of Captain Marvel. This time it was Maria Rambeau, uh, Captain Carter, you know what I'm saying, Peggy Carter. Uh, who else was in there? Uh, Black Bolt, uh, Mordo, Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards, and <laughs> Professor Charles Xavier. With the OG green suit with the striped tie and the yellow hover chair, man, from the animated series. With that theme plan, y'all hear that? Y'all hear that banger? So uh, the Illuminati, you know what I'm saying, they capture Steven and tell him that he's a threat to the multiverse and he can cause an incursion. And an incursion is when two realities, Earths, like, you know what I'm saying, collide, resulting in, like, you know what I'm saying, total destruction of both Earths and both of their realities. 838 Steven got a hold of the Dark Hole and it corrupted him. And he almost caused an incursion. And that's why they had to sacrifice him. But our strange is trying to tell the Illuminati that Wanda is going to dreamwalk into 838 Wanda and pull up to the Illuminati. And of course, you know what I'm saying? They don't listen and Wanda kills all of them except for Mordo only because he was fighting Strange at the time. And this is where, wait a minute, is this rated R comes back into play? Because Wanda, she turned Reed into some blue spaghetti and they showed it, made Black Bolt blow his own brain up and they showed it through Peggy's shield at her full speed slicing her in half and they showed it smashing Maria under a ton of rocks and they showed it and she just straight up twisted and broke Charles' neck and they showed it and I'm just sitting in my chair like, at the edge of my seat in disbelief like yo what the f is happening how the hell are they gonna stop Wanda? Then, you know what I'm saying, the final battle happens and they finally get through to her and she seemingly stops herself by piling a whole bunch of rocks on top of her and uh, they want you to think that she's dead, but come on now, like, come on now. It, it, it's Wanda, it's Wanda. Like, we know she's not dead, but this movie was absolutely crazy. Next up is Thor Love and Thunder. Five out of five matters easily. This movie was great, although it wasn't better than Ragnarok because I felt like it had a little too many silly moments, but at the same time, it didn't take me out of the movie because with the amount of comedic moments that there were in this movie, there were just as many, if not more, emotional, like super emotional, moments as well any scene showing jane with her cancer you know what i'm saying her death scene was was also sad uh showing what motivated gore 
to want to kill all the gods was like, man, that was heartbreaking, man. Because his daughter died in that particular god's name. And when he finally did get to meet the god and, you know, and, and tell him about what happened to his daughter, the god kind of like just brushes it off like he doesn't even care. And that's why Gore said this most iconic line. Oh, God, will die. And speaking of Gore, man, a lot of people have a problem with Gore in, in Thor, Love, and Thunder. I had no problem with it at all. Like, dude, it's Christian Bale. Everything he touched turns to gold. <laughs> MVPs of the movie were them ghosts. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Them ghosts were hilarious. They, they had everybody in the whole theater weak as hell. And the way the movie ended was like, it was perfect. Because um, Thor, he adopted Gore's daughter and her name was Love. And throughout the whole movie, we did not know what her name was. And we hear Korg, you know, narrating, you know, what we're seeing on screen at the moment. And it's Thor and Love running onto the battlefield for battle practice. And you hear him say this. They have traveled far and have been given many names. But to those who know them best, they are simply known as Love and Thunder. And when he said that, the title card showed up, Thor, Love and Thunder. And it hit me. I said, yo, that was a really, really creative way to make the title of the movie make sense because... When I first heard the title of this movie a couple years ago at Comic-Con, I was like, Love and Thunder. And then I saw they had announced that Natalie Portman was coming back. I said, like, oh, okay, Love. And then, you know, Thunder is Thor. I was like, okay, I got it. But that's not what, I mean, the movie was about, you know, that aspect of love as well because they, you know, re kind of rekindled their um, thing that they had, you know, in the first two movies. And once again, that is why I love Marvel. Their storytelling is impeccable. It is like chef's kiss. You know what I'm saying? Now on to the shows. First up, we got Moon Knight. Now, Moon Knight follows Stephen Grant, a mild-mannered gift shop employee who becomes plagued with blackouts and memories of another life. Stephen then discovers that he has Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID for short and shares a body with a mercenary named Mark Spector. Now, on a scale to five matters, I give it a five out of five matters. One of the main things that I loved about this show was how they dealt with the multiple identity disorder. Uh, I feel like they handled the disease with such care. The villain, Arthur Harrow, played by the great Ethan Hawke, who recently just starred as the antagonist in The Black Phone. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It was a phenomenal movie. He was a super dope antagonist in the black phone. But of course, his portrayal in this was amazing as well. Also, I got very hyped when I saw Jake Lockley in that post credit scene because from what I've studied about that character, he's no joke in the comics. Moving on to Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel follows 16-year-old Pakistani-American Captain Marvel fangirl Kamala Khan as she struggles to fit in until she gains powers of her own. I also give Miss Marvel 5 out of 5 matters. I remember when people first saw the trailer for this show, 
and was very quick to say, nope, not even going to give it a chance just because it looks like it's for kids. Another reason they said they skip out on it is because they changed her powers from the comics. Basically, if you don't know, in the comics, Kamala was exposed to the Terrigen Mist and it unlocked her inhuman abilities, which allows her to shapeshift and extend her limbs, aka Embiggen, as she likes to call it. But in the show, they had her powers unlocked by a family heirloom in the form of a cosmic bangle. Which, in my opinion, I don't see a big problem with, you know, but, you know, you know how the comic nerds are, they ridiculous. But there are two reasons why they changed her powers. Number one, ability-wise, she's basically a female Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic. And two, to fit the story that they were telling. She's going to be in the Marvels next year in 2023, which deals with cosmic powers and all that space shit. So why not have her get her powers from that same kind of, you know, energy? Anyways, after finishing the show, I can say with confidence that the whole made-for-kids tagline is far from the truth. It's actually much darker than I expected. It gave us an insight on the partition of India back in the late 1940s, which displaced more than like 10 million people from their families. Also, the way Marvel represented the Pakistanis, it rivals that of the representation in Black Panther. And lastly, we have another newcomer into the MCU. She-Hulk, attorney at law, follows Jennifer Walters' complicated life as a single defense attorney who is also the 6'7 green superhero She-Hulk. I also give She-Hulk 5 out of 5 matters. The dynamic with Jen and Bruce is like, it's so believable. You know what I'm saying? They, they got, they had like really, really good chemistry. It was really cool seeing Abomination on screen again. And also what was really cool about that, they changed his design to be more comic accurate, which was also dope. We also saw the man with no fear, Matt Murdock, AKA Daredevil in a new suit with a red and gold colorway from the comics. And Matt shows up on some G shit. Firstly, as a lawyer, and in that lawyer scene in the courtroom, he f***ing straight up obliterated, demolished Jen Walters and her client. But yeah, firstly, he showed up as a lawyer, and eventually, you already know he suited up. And, you know, I, I, I really liked him in this. Like, he was so much more chill and smooth and She-Hulk than in the Netflix show, and it was, like, kind of refreshing, you know what I'm saying? His back and forth with Jen was hilarious, too. Like, they didn't even tone him down. It felt like Daredevil. Episode 8, hands down, was my favorite episode of the season. And it wasn't just because of the Daredevil cameo. It was everything in the episode. The Red Hulk tease, the Wolverine tease, Matt and Jen hooking up, because, I mean, when I tell you she's been taking L's, she's been taking too many motherfucking L's in the dating market. And speaking of that, in episode 6, she finally meets this good guy, Josh. Episode 7, they go on a couple dates. By the third date, Pound Town, right? She wakes up the next morning of uh, Friday, I think, and he's gone. Okay, she thought, you know, no biggie. He probably just, you know, went home or had to go to work or whatever. So she hit him up. No response. The entire day. Saturday, no response. Sunday, still no response. So she ends up at Abomination's self-healing group and tells the group about, you know, everything. And they let her know that, you know, she's been ghosted and that she should just block and delete him. 
So you know what I'm saying? She does it. She completes her stay at um I think it was called Obama Obama stay, like like Namaste, Obama stay, yeah. Um, you know, and she leaves. Three days earlier appears on the screen, and you see Josh putting his clothes back on, and then out of nowhere he just copied everything from her phone onto his because he's working for the fing Hulk King. But back to episode eight. Everything was smooth and peaceful, but the ending got crazy and that sh pissed me off. Also, and I've said this before, um, Marvel, they, they just know how to make their characters so human and relatable because in the beginning of the season, there was a scene of Jen in a bar after she had just saved a good couple of jurors in the courtroom from Titania where her boss came in and told her she's fired. And that's crazy. She saved her life, yet she gets fired. These heroes, they save the world and they don't even get paid. They get no health insurance, no nothing. They are broke. Look what Sam had to go through in Falcon and Winter Soldier. The guy working at the bank was like, hey man, you know, um, I can't approve you for this loan, but uh, can I get a picture though? Sam like, uh, you, you can't approve the loan. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an Avenger, you know what I'm saying? I'm, you know what, you can't help me out? And bro was like, yeah, that's cool and all. I know you saved me and the whole world from that purple nutsack chin son of a bitch Thanos, but I can't help you. But what about that picture? I would have been like, uh, dude, I'm an Avenger. I fought Thanos. Y'all motherfuckers better let me drive off the motherfucking lot with a new car. I ain't signing for shit. Same with Peter Parker. How many times have he saved New York? And he's the brokers of them all. Living in a crappy apartment with high-ass rent, motherfuckers not doing the maintenance because the door always fucked up. But then when I come around asking for the goddamn rent. Give me rent. You'll get your rent when you fix this damn door. Peter had to take pictures of himself swinging around just to get money. And he does it all with a smile on his face. And you know, like, I'm a good person, but I'm not that good. Because if I'm saving the world and I'm not getting anything from it, motherfucker, you gonna see me rampaging down the street with a whole other suit on. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? You gonna see me in the car with Kane the Conqueror, Dr. Doom, and the motherfucking Hobgoblin. Shit. I'm gonna be rolling deep with the Sinister Six, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to be crouched down on the rooftop looking down at motherfuckers. I see a motherfucker walk by, I'm jumping down, and I'm whooping they ass. You get in my way, get fucked. And while I'm snapping, I want to get this off my chest. And this comes from Brandon as well. You got damn right, motherfucker. I'm so sick of all this fucking bitching and moaning and complaining. If you're not on board with anything MCU related, don't give us no generic, oh, this show whack, or, or this movie boring, or, or I, I wish Marvel can go back to how Endgame was. And the same motherfuckers who be saying all that bullshit are the ones who saw Endgame and expect everything after Endgame to be at that same level. But what they don't understand is it took a fucking decade, a decade of movies leading up to that cinematic masterpiece. So what, you expected all of Phase 4 to be like Infinity War and f***ing Endgame? If so, you are so delusional. Think of Phase 4 as Phase 1 2.0. The beginning of Phase 1 introduced us to the OG6. Phase 2 introduced us to Wanda and Pietro Maximoff, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and the Ant-Man crew. Phase 3 introduced us to Spider-Man, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, and Captain Marvel. With the ending of Phase 3 coming to a close, it brought 
everyone we have been introduced to together for not one but two big ass mashup films now marvel studios is doing that again and people are complaining again which i don't understand do you not understand that we have not one but two avengers movies coming out in the same year in 2025 but the problem is y'all marvel fans being so goddamn entitled that you forget just how long it took for us to even get to Endgame. Now, every time that there is a Comic-Con or D23 or whatever, when Kevin announces a new project, whether it be a show or a movie, oh my God, this face sucks. Like, shut the f up. And don't come over here with all that bullshit. All that mumble jumble bullshit bantering ain't gonna get you nowhere. It's so old and it's played out as We've had so much more crazy different in this phase than we've ever had in the MCU before. Just look at how it started off. WandaVision. That show set the tone for the craziness that we were in for. And they delivered tremendously on everything. There was not one miss, but leave it up to some of these internet boys. Marvel trash. DC's better than Marvel. Snyder cut rules. Here at the Church of Marvel, we all positive. You know what I'm saying? We... We be celebrating Marvel. If you don't like the MCU, what the f are you even still watching for? Lastly, but certainly not least, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. 20 out of 5 f***ing matters. And you know, um... I had to wait until I had rewatched this movie at least twice before even attempting to record this portion of the episode. And all I can say is, I don't even know. I'm, I'm speechless. I've been speechless before with Marvel movies. You know what I'm saying? Like Infinity War, Endgame, uh, you know, Captain America, Civil War. Spider-Man Homecoming, No Way Home, like, and even with a lot of these TV shows, I've been speechless, but I've never been speechless in this type of way, if that makes any sort of sense at all. This movie was a genuine celebration of Chadwick Boseman. I ran through literally every emotion on the emotion scale, like... And I'm one person, one black person who did not want to go see the first one. When I heard that they were doing this movie, and even though I saw him in, in Civil War and I liked the character, at the same time, I was like, I don't know if this is going to be something I just, I want to rush to the theaters to go see. Because one thing I am not too keen on is watching movies or tv shows that has an all-black cast that you know has a lot of you know basic african traditions and the culture stuff and all that but uh, my mom she convinced me to go see black panther one and when i saw it i was speechless like i am now because it was like the stuff I really don't care for, it was still in the movie. Like like with the way they dressed or the language that they spoke. But it's like it wasn't shoved down my throat the way a lot of these other movies in the past have done it. But what Black Panther did, what Ryan Coogler did, and what Marvel did, 
is take all of that and modernize it to today's society. And it's like it clicked and it and it resonated with me at a very, very deep level. And I really, I greatly enjoyed it. But back to Wakanda Forever, the one thing that I was the most hyped for to see in the movie, and it did not disappoint. And that was the introduction of Nyamor, the Submariner, man. Ever since Aquaman came out in 2018, I have been obsessed with every and anything underwater related, whether it be DC or Marvel. And once I found out that Marvel had a character named Namor the Submariner, I did some research on him. I was like, yo, this dude is like really cool. So I was like, man, they need to hurry up and bring him to the MCU. And when I found out he was going to debut in Black Panther 2, I was like, yo, we finna have Wakanda versus Atlantis. Are you freaking kidding me? But one thing that differs from the comics that was in this movie is that Nyamor, he wasn't the ruler of, you know, the kingdom of Atlantis. He was the ruler of Talokan. The score, the visuals, the story, the acting, everything, literally everything was just amazing. It was so freaking amazing. It was a great tribute to Chadwick Boseman. I know he's looking down, smiling. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman.